Welcome back to the Clemson Podcast. I'm your host, Nick. I'm joined tonight by a couple of guests. I'm joined by Chris and Kurt, both from Clemson Paws. Uh, really excited here on the podcast to continue interviewing uh, folks from around really the Clemson, I'll call it kind of the media sphere or Clemson Twitter, um, folks that are pretty active throughout uh, the Clemson community and really excited to have on for the first time guests from Clemson Paws. Um, you guys want to do a quick intro? Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, I am Chris. I am CTB at Clemson Paws. Um, I think it probably makes sense to say who I'm not. I'm not the Kraken. Uh, the Kraken is pretty much the brains behind the operation. He does the detailed film reviews and really lays out what's going on with Clemson football. I focus more on the advanced stat portion along with previewing opponents. Yep, and I am Kurt uh, or Kurt like, like Vonnegut. Um, definitely not the Kraken as well. Uh, I try to focus on, uh, the lighter side of college football and, um, mostly just try to make fun of other people. It's probably what I do best. Um, it is what he does best. Football expert. Snark is, uh, Snark is Kurt's forte. Yep. We're all about it. Um, you know, a healthy amount of trolling is always fun. Keeps this light and, um, keeps from getting too serious. Football's after all a game, and we're all in this for, you know, a distraction and have a good time. So we appreciate that. Um, you know, maybe a, an important recent milestone for you guys, um, you recently moved, changed models and opened up the site to basically uh, anyone um, to view, visit, and access um, all of your content. Um, so that was great. I think I imagine you guys saw a pretty big traffic bump from that and um, definitely encourage people to go check out all the analysis during the week um, right after the game as well. Um, Dr. B and the Kraken, in addition to you guys, are putting out good work. So um, I'm sure we'll touch a little bit on some of the the recent things that you guys have put out um, in our discussion here. But maybe we can just uh, get started talking about the 2018 season, um, clearly coming off this Texas A&M win. Uh, so much to unpack in that game. I'd really like to get your insight and feedback on that. Um, but where are you guys in terms of expectations coming into the year? Or basically, where were you? Do you feel like this is the best Clemson team of the recent era? Do you think it's uh, tough to say like from an expectation standpoint, um, knowing what we brought back on defense? Well, in terms of whether or not this is the best Clemson team in in the recent era, I would have to say no. Uh, we don't have Deshaun Watson. Anytime you have Deshaun Watson, that probably puts you in that upper tier. Uh, he's just so good. He was, he really felt the the game and knew where the pressure was coming from, and he was able to really read and break down defenses on the fly. So I think that is a big portion of of what we've been missing for the past couple of years. It's not just the deep ball. It's not just the arm strength, but it's really the the recognition. Um, and taking that next lap and feeling where the pressure is coming from and taking advantage of the defense. 
um, attacking all areas of the field is important, and that is something that we're just starting to see. Yeah, I think I'd actually disagree with that in terms of expectations. Um, you know, I was at the national championship in 2015, and you know, we all left, and I just had this sinking feeling after losing that game of understanding how difficult it is to get there and feeling like we got a little lucky, honestly, in getting there. You know, we had a couple breaks that went our way. Um, and, and just not really having that certainty that we'd get back, you know, we had Deshaun, who was like the ultimate force multiplier, but there were so many question marks on that 2016 team going in, you know, who was going to really step up at defensive end. Um, we had a lack of depth on defense. We lost some of those players from that 2015 team who were pivotal on the back end. Um, there were a lot of unknowns there. I think that enough that I don't think anyone was truly, 100% confident. Whereas this year, it's just been weird for me. And and honestly, as someone who grew up as a Clemson fan in the Tommy Bowden era, it's been a little weird because the last time we were this confident heading into the season, we just got run off the field by Alabama and ended up firing our coach. Um, it's been a little unnerving, honestly, how confident not just the fans, but the players and the coaches have been. Um, to the extent that it, it, it actually has put me on edge a little bit. Um, but then you just look at the depth of the roster, you look at what we have on defense and you really see just a lot of potential there. And, you know, at the end of the day, a lot of people, you know, they have their thoughts about Kelly Bryant. Can he lead this team? But, um, he's a proven quarterback, whether or not he's going to win the big game at the end of the season. Um, he got us to an ACC championship. He got us into the playoff in a year that most people did not have that expectation. And I think the expectation is to go back and, and compete for a national championship. And I think I think we're right on track, honestly. All right. But when you look at the 2016 team, I mean, we had there weren't too many holes on that team. The the main question mark was would we stay healthy or not? And if we were going to stay healthy, um, if if Mike Williams played like we thought he would play, um, Leggett, Watson. I mean, that team was stacked. Coming into this year, I think people just got used to Clemson going at least 10 wins or, or more, making the playoff, um, just kind of reloading year after year. When you look at our talent level, we're right around like a top 10 talent level. I mean, we're not the most talented team in college football from a recruiting standpoint. We, we have a lot of really... Like we have a lot of players who have developed very nicely since they've been on campus, and we've had a lot of pleasant surprises from from a recruiting standpoint. But the two main the, the two main question marks that we've had coming into the season would be how does Bryant or Lawrence progress as a quarterback, and then how do Muse and Simmons react to being put in conflict? And those are the two big question marks for this team. And those two. The answers to those two questions will really define the season. How far do we go and do we win a national championship or not? I think for you guys hit on multiple good points here. I think for me, one of the one of the aspects of expectations is that um, they're actually, to Kurt's point, there were some question marks heading from 2015 into 2016. And um, at this point, I think there's enough household names throughout the team, as well as five-star and four-star highly touted talent coming in. Um, you spoke to the depth advantage, but 
I think that's sort of, I mean, that is why there's, there were, there have been these expectations among Clemson fans. And I think now I've kind of touched on it in a couple of recent shows, especially on the offensive side, uh, where we're starting to get uh, really the, the level of playmakers into the receiver core, receiving core, let's say, uh, where it's a matter of how does, how does the coaching staff deal with all this talent, deploy that kind of play their hand of, in, of sorts and figure out, um, how to really create a championship level offense, uh, heading into not just getting through our ACC slate yet again. Um, and I definitely want to get your guys take on our schedule, but, um, I, I don't know that I've seen a championship level offense just yet out of this group. We know that that talent levels there to frame. This as a question for you guys. Um, how have you all looked at the Tony Elliott era, um, thus far and sort of, what do you think, this offense would look like, let's say if Chad Morris were still on the staff. Well, from a, I think, how do we look at it from a Tony Elliott standpoint? When we go back to the Tony Elliott hire, um, there are a lot of rumblings from the Clemson fan base with question marks about the hire, um, concerns. And I think overall, they've actually done a, a fantastic job. Yeah, uh, I think last been... year was really the time that we looked to, it's kind of the proving ground, like Deshaun had left the nest, um, you're kind of on your own to see establishing Tony Elliott and um, Jeff Scott, like what they what they brought to the table and we won a cha- ACC championship, right? Right, but what they do that Chad didn't is that Tony and, and or Scott and Elliott, they, they really hold back, it seems like. They don't go in like kill mode. They don't the ball downfield when they're up they play a lot more conservatively um and they're not they're not ratcheting up the pressure like like chad did and maybe it's just a difference in in where the program is at this time um chad was always trying to score on every play um different sets of playmakers yeah I, i think it goes sort of back to the nature of tony elliott a lot of people forget or don't realize that he's an engineer by trade um, engineers are risk averse. Um, they also tend to do just enough to get the job done. They don't want to go overboard with everything. And I think you see some of that in, in the play calling that Elliot, um, does from the, from up on the box where, you know, he, he's content with doing just enough to get by. And it's, it's crazy frustrating, you know, in the heat of the moment when you're, when you're watching that kind of conservatism, on the field and you're thinking, man, this eight point lead is just not enough, but the numbers speak for themselves. If you look at our win rate and one score, and especially those types of games, it's not a fluke. It's not, you know, it's not some sort of just miracle that we're, that we're winning like that. It's by design and it's incredibly frustrating. It frustrates the hell out of people like Bill Connolly, but it works. And in, you know, you look at what we did with Deshaun, where we were a little bit more risky, he pulled the trigger. You can make a legitimate argument that Deshaun Watson and that type of mentality lost us the game against Pitt. He threw an interception when all we needed was a field goal to win that game. And it was because we, you know, we got out ahead of ourselves and and we took a risk and he threw an interception in the end zone. And I think you look at that and you see both sides of that argument. You know, um, so I, I think he catches a lot of flack for it, but 
I mean, it's hard to argue with the results at the end of the day. The, the point the point of calling plays is to win the game, and you look at what they've done, and you can you can make the Deshaun argument. Yeah, well, they did a lot of that with Deshaun, but then they did a lot of it without. Yeah, I I do think that there has been a lot of luck in that statistic too. I mean, when when we're the absolute best at something and like one score games, do we just have 130 coin flippers out there and we just happen to be the luckiest coin flipper out there? Um, I, I do agree that our defense has consistently bailed us out. I think Tony Elliott, he is playing conservatively. He's playing to not throw the not turn over the ball, and we, in a lot of cases, the only way the other team is going to win is if they get a turnover, uh, and that doesn't happen in most cases. So yeah, I think, I, we, I think that there's some. I don't know, maybe a little bit of um, you know amnesia around Chad and Chad was incredible for what he did for Clemson football, but you got to remember that Chad, he giveth and he taketh away. I mean, he made some really boneheaded play calls and, and he would try and force the issue at times. I don't know that we win a national championship with Chad Morris as an offensive coordinator. I really don't know because at the same time that he was brilliant and he did incredible things for Clemson's offense, he really can be kind of boneheaded about certain things. And I don't, I just don't know if you put that same offense up against Alabama in two games, if we put up 500 yards of offense in each, in each game, or maybe we do, but we turn the ball over enough times in that second game that we lose that one as well. You know, so I, I think it's tough, but I do think that there's a little bit of nostalgia involved with the love for Chad Morris. And, you know, he did great things for Clemson as a program, but I, I don't know if you can say with certainty that we win the national championship with him as the, the offensive coordinator. Maybe we can uh, migrate this a little more. It's what we've seen this year from an evidence standpoint. Um, and, you know, the giant elephant in the room, what really everyone wants to talk about is the quarterback. Uh, race, or let's just call it the balance of uh, the two quarterbacks at Clemson that are getting snaps. How are you guys reading the deployment of those quarterbacks so far? Um, maybe leaning on the AM game in particular. Are you feeling like they're um, designing plays to make the most out of each quarterback's skill set thus far, or anything you'd like to see them work on? Well, we can see that they're working on on downfield passing for Bryant. I mean, I think he had about six downfield passes against Furman, and then he let loose when the game really depended on it against A&M. Brian has won the quarterback battle, like, period. What we saw out of Lawrence, Lawrence has a long way to go. Um, either they told him just focus on one receiver and get that ball to the one receiver because of the, the pressure coming at him, or he really felt the pressure and he struggled with going through his progressions during the A&M game. Bryant did a much better job of going through his progressions, handling the pressure, um, and, and managing the game. So I think the one aspect Brian needs to work on is his downfield passing. And he he hit three nice downfield passing throws in the AM game. So if he can keep getting better throughout the season, then he could turn into a really nice quarterback. Yeah, I don't know. I, I like how they managed it. Um, in terms of playing calls or calling plays rather that um, really play to one strength, I don't think you can really do that within the offense because you're tipping your hand to the defense. You're giving them, you know, if every time Lawrence comes in, 
you're going downfield. They're just going to drop their safeties back. Sure. Um, yeah. If every time you bring in Kelly Bryant, you're running zone read, they're going to drop those safeties down. Um, and it, it, it just kind of, that's where you, I think you see those two quarterback systems that sort of fail. You know, I, I wrote a, a piece about this after the Texas A&M game. Um, Cause I had a lot going through my head of, of just, how did you run two quarterbacks where you were switching back and forth and it actually apparently elevated the performance of both? You know, you look at Kelly Bryant and some of the throws he made and he doesn't make those throws last year. Um, you know, going through his progressions, hitting a receiver downfield in stride. Um, and he's really rising, I think, to the challenge that he has with this, um, this kind of up and comer coming up behind him. Um, but at the same time, I think you make the legitimate argument that there are things that Trevor Lawrence can do that Kelly Bryant can't. Um, and I think that eventually at some point we will get to a point and I think it will become Trevor Lawrence's team. Um, we're, but we're not there yet. And I think that's fine because we have a guy who obviously, um, is capable of doing what, what needs to be done in those tough situations. So, um, you know, the way that they've managed it, I think is great. It's been a very honest dialogue um, with with both of the players. And I think you look at how Dabo is handling it versus someone like a Saban um, and how that he's handled a very similar situation at the end of the day. Um, and you look at the two the two different programs and how they're handling it. Um, I think it's I think it's fine. Honestly, I think the way that they're handling it is is going to lead to more success. I think Trevor Lawrence, eventually at some point, he will essentially take the reins. There will still be, you know, time for Kelly Bryant to come in. But at the same time, Kelly Bryant's shown that he's really improved from last year. Um, can we beat Alabama with Kelly Bryant? I don't know. I, probably not. Um, but can we get there with him? Probably. I think yes. Yeah, I... I thought the same thing prior to the season that this was eventually going to be Trevor Lawrence's team that he would win the job at some point during the season but after the AM game I'm not so sure because we're not really going to see the same amount of pressure that we saw from AM. like unless it's from maybe Boston College maybe Florida State if they don't quit on the team so the, the question marks that we have after the AM game they're not really going to be answered until it comes to the playoffs yeah I th- I don't know. I wouldn't read too much into that. You've got a true freshman playing on the road against uh you know what is probably a top twenty defense um, in front of one hundred and five thousand fans. He's eighteen years old. Um, he's probably not going to be lighting the world on fire. You know, we we romanticize what Deshaun Watson did as a freshman and at Georgia and at Florida we saw State. one play. We saw yeah. <laughs> one play from Lawrence, we thought it was kind of we were getting the same deal, and um, Deshaun really didn't play that that much in that Georgia game either. No, he made um, a great throw, and he made a couple really nice plays. But let's not go overboard with Deshaun Watson lighting the world on fire as a true freshman. He had some really good plays. He also played like a true freshman at times. So to think that Lawrence would, you know, just come out. He throws that touchdown pass and then it's like, okay, game over. This guy's going to take over. You know, I don't think we've ever seen a true freshman play at that level right off the bat on the road, tough environment like that. 
And and at the end of the day, we didn't need him to. Yeah, and I think um, you guys have touched on it. The elevation of Kelly Bryant's play, I think, will um, it'll be a forcing function potentially for Trevor Lawrence to improve his game during the season. Um, I don't think he'll shy away from the challenge or, or going after it. And again, I think the fire's been lit with Kelly Bryant, and we saw, um, and maybe this was always in his nature, but I think that second half of that game where he um, essentially, I don't, I don't look at it as him having been benched after the first half. Certainly a shaky start. Um, and you could chalk that up to screen passes are not really his forte, no matter what. But um, anyway, that what he was able to do and really staying um, on track and keeping this offense moving, um, despite play calling um, and a little bit of conservatism late, I think really spoke volumes about him. And I think this quarterback race is bringing the best out of Kelly. Yeah, I think that it's obvious the coaches are using Trevor to push Kelly to throw the ball downfield. Um, I think that they yanked him in the second quarter and said, we've got to stretch the field. And they put in Trevor Lawrence and he throws a 64 yard bomb on his first snap. And then all of a sudden Kelly's throwing the ball downfield and it's not a coincidence. I don't think, um, but there are certain things about Kelly's game that just aren't going to change. You know, I think that there was a third down at some point during the game where he just missed Amari Rogers badly, where we had a chance to basically put the game away. That's not going to change. He's going to miss throws like that. Um, The screen game, he throws that he's got that looping kind of looping delivery that takes forever to get the ball out. That screen game's not going to get better with Kelly Bryant because it just takes so, so long for the ball to get over there. And I think against a, potent defense and we don't always have to use Alabama here but even what Ohio State can bring or we'll see what we get out of Georgia with the turnover they've had but um, you kind of can't make too many mistakes like that and expect to generate enough points to I mean we saw with a lack what a lack of passing did last year in that sugar bowl um, to they just pin their ears back and stifle this offense Um, but again if he if the coaching staff can use this season the regular season to find other ways to elevate Kelly's game and um, poke holes in, de- in otherwise strong defenses. That'll be great. I agree though. We're not really going to face enough, even top top 30 defenses to, uh, to challenge this, these Clemson quarterbacks the rest of the way. Right. And in the A&M game, I mean, who started those drives was scripted. I mean, Brandt got the first two drives, Lawrence got the next two, and then they rotated. They gave Lawrence a chance to start the half. Um, I mean, outside of that throw to to T. Higgins, his first throw, that was his best throw of the night. I mean, he of his five completions, I think he was staring down his receiver on three of them, at least. So, I mean, he just has a long way to to improve and to come. I'm he he is going to be Clemson's next great quarterback. It's just a matter of when. We don't know if it's going to be towards the end of the season or if it'll be next season. Uh, fair points. Um, let's maybe stick with the offense, pivot a little bit. We can keep it with Kelly Bryant, though. I think a criticism or a, a gripe that Clemson fans have had is uh, the utilization of Kelly Bryant in the running game. And you just look at the snap counts, not the snap counts, but the um, the attempts rushing. Um, Kelly ran it 15 times to ETN's eight. And it was sloppy conditions. I think a lot of people wanted more utilization of ETN in the running game. Um, Adam Choice seemed to be doing pretty well also. Um, I was fine with Kelly's running in this game. I thought that, um, you know, outside of the last couple of drives, a couple of series in the fourth quarter, 
Uh, he was very effective with his legs, and I thought that was well utilized. Uh, but how are you guys feeling at this stage about kind of how they're distributing the the, the running back attempts? Yeah, I, I think we all want to see Etienne get the ball more. Um, he's so electric with the ball in his hands. Um, you just kind of hold your breath as soon as he gets the ball out in space because it's like, okay, he, he, he could score here, right? Um, but at the same time, um, I don't know. I feel like Kelly Bryant is a little selfish with the ball in those situations, but at the same time, he, you know, he had some great plays, you know, um, just tonight, the, the fourth quarter film review came out, um, from the Kraken and he has this, this incredible kind of zone read play where he's dead to rights with two defenders blitzing the gap that he's about to run through manages some crazy spin move and third and five turns into first down um, somehow. And it's just, you know, he, he does have sort of that a little bit of electricity, that magic to him. Um, I think we're going to get ETN the ball more. Um, but, you know, I, I, I get some of the frustration, but at the same time, I think that there's value to keeping the ball in Kelly's hand late, especially when, you know, it's wet out and you're worried about number one worry is turning the ball over. Save for that uh, first half situation with fourth and goal. But he was going under center in that, so a little bit different. Uh, yeah, it's Chris, funny because for so long, people complained about us running out of the shotgun in short yardage. You know, that was such a complaint over the last two years. Why do we go out of the shotgun in short yardage yeah. and we go under center and fumble the ball? And it's like, well, that's why. <laughs> I think Watson did the same thing, actually, at one point in his career. But, I mean, it's just kind of bad luck, right? You're not going to change how you take that snap because of of one fumble. I mean, you just kind of have to improve that exchange and, and move on from there. I mean, we're talking about ETN's eight, eight carries. They only had 59 snaps over the course of the game. That's very low. They It was just an odd game because they turned a, they turned it on and they turned it off in terms of their effort level. Um, I think at some point in the second quarter, we had a bunch of second stringers in there. We are treating it like practice. Uh, I think there was a point in the third quarter when we did the same thing. It yeah, was just, Trevor, it, it was just was odd. With, Trevor Lawrence was basically in there with the second string um, skill position players which is really interesting in a third quarter of a pretty tight game at that point. Right. Um, Early in the game, we had Shaq. We had, um, uh, we had, yeah, we had Shaq, Shaq Smith in there. Justin Foster. Yeah, Justin Foster. He actually played really well throughout that game. I mean, he, he did a great job. Yeah, who had Justin Foster getting the first interception of the night after Ken, uh, Kayvon Wallace drops like four, right? Um, all of a sudden, you know, I mentioned that in the game thread and it's like, who, who put money on Justin, Justin Foster with the first interception of the game you can call it a fumble recovery, but to me, the ball never touched the ground. It's an interception. So, um, so I I don't know. I think the other thing with ETN though, I, I, I didn't get to this point. I just kind of blanked on it, but you can't, you can't take away the fact that their defensive tackles were really dominating the a gaps against us. And on inside zone, if you can't, get some sort of movement in the a gaps you're not really going to have a lot of success and i think that's why we moved to that screen kind of perimeter game i'd like to see them try and get etn out into the flats more but 
you know, if if we can't run the A gaps or even into the B gaps because their defensive line is really kind of stoning us, which they have, they have, I think we are vastly underestimating how solid Texas A&M's defensive line, especially their center, their defensive tackles are. I was going to ask, do you think this game played out as a, an indictment on our O-line and readiness, or is it A&M's front under Mike Elko just could be incredible? No, I think Dalen Mack is, is the real deal. I mean, he's 320 pounds, former five-star. Uh, I mean, he had a great night. He he really challenged the interior of the line. Um, Madhu Blake, something like that. Madhu Blake, was there other defensive tackle? He was a high four-star. I think both are third-year players. Um really good players and i mean we want to say that clemson should dominate all facets of the game but in reality i mean the other team has good players too i think one person that we didn't hear a lot from um on their defensive line was landis durham he was actually the sec sack leader last season he had 11 sacks and 12 tackles for losses he didn't do much going up against mitch hyatt the the defensive ends more than held their own i mean they're solid all, all game yeah, I think we did pretty well in pass pro, all things considered, with with that level of defensive line. But they did a good job of shutting down our run game. And you know, Mike Elko knows what we want to do on the in the run. He's he's seen a lot of Clemson under uh, Tony Elliott. He knows what we're trying to do. So you know, he knows how to run those slants and stunts to to block up that time or that line. But they have a really they I, I think they have probably. You know, they're probably the best defensive line we're going to face in the regular season, for sure. Is there anything about their defensive game plan that you think other capable teams will take away and try to try to exploit? And do you think we'll be able to um, pivot or adjust to those? I mean, I think we would look for adjustments, but I think you can play that against the conservative play calling as well to know that maybe we weren't tipping our hand. Well, they actually took a lot from the Alabama game last year. I mean, they played and played a lot of people in the box. They played seven in the box. Um, they were really all over the underneath throws. They invited us to pass downfield. And really, that's what we had to do to win. I mean, when the when the offense opened up, it was when they were attacking all areas of the field, especially downfield. Uh, Brant actually had three like long downfield passes complete to Rodgers, Higgins, and Renfro. So, I mean, all three of our starting receivers actually had big plays. Um, Rodgers had a 64-yard play. Um, T. Higgins with the 50-yarder. And then Kelly Bryant also had a 40-yard completion, Hunter Renfro. Um, that isn't something that we saw from Bryant last year. So, I mean, if he can just keep doing that, if he can keep improving, I mean, I, I think I think, uh, I think, think the sky's the limit with Bryant. He, he has potential. It's just whether or not we'll see it. And I haven't studied the um, Bill C kind of advanced metrics coming out of this game just yet, but I, I want to look at that explosiveness metric because we talk about, or we, we have talked about against an opponent like Alabama, you do need to increase the n- amount of variance that you can have. And the explosive plays are really where that comes in. And we've got the playmakers. We have the talent. It's a matter of dialing that up and succeeding. Um, and I, we definitely saw a lot of chunk yardage plays for Clemson here. Uh, juxtaposed by some tackles for loss and um, not too many sacks as you guys have referenced, but I think I like what I'm seeing out of this game, at least from an explosiveness of this offense. Yeah. And I think going back to your question about 
what are other defenses going to try and do that Mike Elko did. Um, I do think that there's some something to be said for the Jimmys and the Joes with that. I don't think that anyone else is working with that same level of personnel to be able to do the things that he did. But, you know, the offense is predicated on putting players into conflict and spreading them out. You know, that anonymous ACC coach who said, you know, Clemson, they don't blow you off the ball. Well, no, they don't. It's not the offense. It's not the way the offense is designed. We try and influence you to run somewhere where you're not supposed to be so that we can go where you were. Um, and we're not trying to blow you off the ball for the most part. And, you know, I think one thing that Mike Elko did a great job of is doing, he did his homework. Um, there was one play that, that crack and die, uh, broke down, um, that we pulled against Furman where we did, you know, some, some pretty nifty influence blocking with the offensive line, you know, very, um, you know, misdirection essentially. And we tried it against Texas A&M and they knew exactly what was going on and they went right to the ball. Um, so I think that he did a great job of scouting and doing his homework. I'm not sure that we face another defensive coordinator this year who has shown that sort of that level of diligence in their, in their homework and doing their scouting to be able to recognize those subtle nuances and have his players execute on those. Yeah. We'll see who we get out of the coastal. If it's Virginia tech. I mean, I think foster is really more about imposing his game plan than like finding your, your shortcomings. Um, but yeah, Virginia tech would be like the one defense and who knows, maybe that would be a good thing for Clemson to face them. If tech is able to come out of the coastal, um, just get one more, you know, pretty elite defense. You know, they've had some um, some guys leave the team. But, yeah, at, at this point, I think more tests, the better for Clemson. Any yeah, other that's... thoughts on the offense, guys, overall? Sorry, I mean, Kurt, I cut you off. Oh, I was just I was just going to make a crack about that's one of the benefits of being in the ACC is, is when you have to go against good coordinators like Mike Elko, they end up just getting, you know, pillaged by – you know, the SEC teams, whereas if you're the LSUs and the, um, you know, if you're in the SEC West, that's where the good coordinators end up, not where they start out. So that's, that's one of the benefits of the ACC. You, you generally only have to deal with a Mike Elko for maybe two or three years before he gets snatched up by someone better. Like Don Brown, right? Yep, yeah, exactly. Yeah, the only other concern I have with with the with the offense i mean i think the offensive line actually has good depth i mean i think it's a good offensive line um i'm not too concerned with the level of competition that they faced it was good competition and you're not going to blow them off the ball but um I, I think they i think they more than held their own in that game um tight end is the biggest concern outside of quarterback improvement uh, is mylon richard going to start blocking again is he not blocking because of an injury he's coming off of, or has he just really made no improvement in blocking? Ceiling. Yeah, is this it? Is this what we're going to expect from him? At one point, we saw Chalk in there. I'm not sure if that was to give him experience as part of like the game plan, or if they were just tired of Richard missing blocks and decided to put someone else in there. I read a tweet from, uh, I believe it was QT, that said Garrett Williams might be nursing a bit of an injury coming out of the AM game. I really hope that's not the case. Uh, we, we definitely need him in there um, in pass protection and certainly run blocking as needed if we need to test the outside. So, yeah, tight end, I think, was you guys mentioned some of the question marks coming into this year. 
um, I would definitely chalk tight end still still up there as a question. Um, yeah, and I think I'm I'm about ready for the Mylon Richard experiment to be just over for good. Um, he seems like a great guy. I watch the vlog and he's engaged and he seems like a really um, nice guy, but he just, he gets on the field and he doesn't really add anything. It's like he doesn't block well, but he also isn't really a downfield receiving threat. Um, and so to me, if you're not going to do the blocking part, just get Braden Galloway out there and let him at least stretch the defense because, you know, even if he's not blocking great and maybe he misses assignment, he at least shows effort when he goes out to block, which, you know, I've, I've done a couple of those little play dialogue or uh, diagnosing. And sometimes you watch Richard and it's like, it looks like he's saying like, Oh, I'm helping, but really he's just sort of running in the direction of a defender and not really doing much. I would rather just put go four wide and put Overton out there instead of another tight end. Um, and you didn't really have to give them a, give him a, I think he's a great guy speech. I mean, he could just say how it is. I mean, he needs to improve his blocking. He knows that. Um, we don't need caveats. <laughs> yeah. I mean, right. Great personality, but he needs to improve his blocking. I do have one pet peeve. He does that thing where you, they button, he buttons the top button of his shirt with no tie. That's I, I don't, I don't get why kids these days, do that i i just don't get it it he he does that every time you see him he's wearing that polo shirt with a top button buttoned it's i i just it's not for me all right fashion fashion takes two um guys why don't we switch over to clemson's defense i think we've touched a little bit on the defense here um in this texas a&m game though i think well um let me ask is a new strategy i guess um to to counteract the Clemson line is, is a hold at all cost strategy going to be effective throughout the year. Um, they're not, they certainly won't call every hold, uh, but seem pretty effective this week. Yeah. I think one of the things that the Kraken hit on early was setting the tone. And so there were some really obvious holds early on that the refs didn't call. And that sort of sets the tone, you know, the refs sort of every officiating group has their sort of their personality as a group and they set the tone early on they basically kind of threw the gauntlet down and said we're really not going to call holding and that I think that encouraged the Texas A&M offensive line and and maybe to some extent even the coaches to say you know hey they're not calling it don't get your quarterback killed if you've got to drag him to the ground do it um and and that's where we get into this situation where all of a sudden you know, we're not getting anything, how often we're going to get that. You know, I think it's one of those things where in these games, if you get one or two early calls, that's going to kind of tone it down some, but I don't think we can count on it. You know, I think it's just going to be, we're just going to have to deal with that all season. Yeah. And I, I, sorry, Chris, I could certainly see Dabo at some, some point blowing a gasket. And um, generally that does result in calls or at least some attention being paid. So I was a little surprised we didn't see that on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, the holding was one thing. I mean, the holding was pretty egregious. It was, it was really bad, and we saw a lot of it. I think at one point they were pulling someone's jersey straight back in, in the fourth quarter, and it's just nothing's called. So at that point, you just have to t- 
take it and, and do what you can. Cleveland Farrell still dominated. RDL still dominated that game. Kellen Mond is really good. He really felt the pocket. He knew where his outlet passes were. He took advantage of it. Uh, he did a great job of extending plays. And their offensive line is a good offensive line. So with those three things, I mean, that really like helped them. And that was a huge advantage to them. I'm not sure anyone else that we play, including Alabama, is going to have all three of those advantages. I mean, Kellen Mond really felt that pocket and knew how to tear apart that defense. Yeah. Yeah. I- I'm not as harsh on the secondary as I think some of the initial reactions have been just due to the amount of time that they would have had to hold their position um, and, you know, kind of keep, keep the, um, keep a, I guess a clean, clean secondary going uh, just in light of the fact that we weren't getting home up front. Yeah. And I finally sort of understand what, other people felt when they watched us with Deshaun Watson is just kind of like this miracle worker, this wizard back there who has this uncanny sense to get away from the rush. You know, there are a couple plays against Alabama where he did that. And you're just, you know, as a Clemson fan, you're like, Oh yeah, this is great. But for the other people, they're just like left scratching their head. Like how did this even happen? And so now I finally kind of get that, uh, that little sort of empathy of, oh, well, that's what that felt like. And it's terrible. <laughs> it really is to, to be incredibly frustrating because um, yeah. he was like a wizard back there. I mean, some of the things that he did, no look passes, um, you know, the the touchdown where Kayvon Wallace gets, you know, full fingers on the ball, but it still hits his receiver in the back of the end zone. Thrown off his back foot. Thrown off his back foot, just right. lighting it on fire. Oh, man. That but, was But the, the defense still got after him. I mean, they still got him for four sacks. Like 9.1% sack rate is crazy high. I mean, if, if they didn't have those holding calls, it would have been a long night for them. Yeah, it just sort of, you could... One lens you could look at this through is it should not have been that close. You know, if, if that sack rate goes up like it would have, um, if Mond is any less of a wizard, if um, the receiver doesn't come down with two to three miracle balls as well, it just seemed like a lot of things were breaking their way other than, you know, the right plays in the right situations uh, to go up and take the lead from us. And this wasn't necessarily like Clemson toying with them throughout. I mean, obviously we talked about the offensive play calling a little bit, but um Definitely a sloppy game, and Clemson's shown that we can get in the mud, kind of win those, right? Yeah, and I think, you know, that's one thing that I've learned to appreciate as a fan because I think maybe five years ago watching this game, I would have participated in the overreaction theater after the game and just been, you know, exploding with rage about the defense not being able to cover um, a ham sandwich. But, um, Reading and, and, you know, doing a lot of the film review with Kraken and understanding that a lot of what they were doing is taking advantage of our kind of our schematics as a defense, you know, that deep post. It's it's a gamble from the offense. We don't cover the deep post well. That's kind of our Achilles heel in the Venable scheme. And there really isn't a great defense for it. The defense is we're not going to give you time to throw it. But if the offensive line is willing to hold long enough that he can uncork one, it's going to happen. And and our defense, in le- outside of a, a you know an incredible personal effort, it's just we're, there's not a good 
defensive set that we're going to have for that. Um, the key is just to get home before he has time to throw that deep post. I think we've seen that out of Jimbo Fisher offenses throughout. We've certainly gotten over on that team and won our games in recent years, but they've had strong quarterback passing performances against the Brent Venables defense really throughout. So no surprise to have seen some efficacy here either. Regardless no, of no. And I think that, you know, we as Clemson fans in the last couple of years with, with, matching up with Jimbo Fisher. I think that we, you know, like to cast aspersions and laugh at him, but at the end of the day, he is a masterful in-game strategist. Um, He did incredible things against us, you know, with his running backs and setting us up with the counter tray and counter H um, and how he used formations. He did it again in this game, you know, Kraken has really broken down the way that he used formations to really mess with Brent Venables. He's gotten the better of Brent several times. You know, I would say that in this game, he got the better of Brent again. Um, It's not easy to do. It's not easy to get the better of, of who is probably at, if not the best top three defensive coordinator in the country to get the better of him repeatedly. You have to know what you're doing. Yeah. There are a lot of positives to take away. Like, like you said, we knew that, from um, Kraken's breakdown for the, before the before the game and the game thread, I mean, he had mentioned that they're going to stress us horizontally. They're going to hit us with counter tray, counter H. They're going to go inside zone. They're going to go split zone, and we saw that. And I was very concerned that Simmons would be put in conflict and he would struggle against that. He really didn't. Uh, he he shut. He did. He did fine. He there were a couple busts, but he did okay. Like shutting down, shutting all that down. Uh, that was plan A, and plan B was just give Mon the ball, let him chuck it downfield. Because like, if you're not going to win, you might as well take all those risks. And it paid off yeah. for them. He he kept hitting the hitting the ball downfield. So I mean, they couldn't run on us. They ran for 2.2 yards per play per carry. Um, and the problem is they just every time pressure came, if we did uh, an a a gap blitz. They would have a running back or tight end right in the space the middle linebacker vacated. Mon knew that. He saw it. He picked it up right away. He would just dump it off. And then there's 15 yards right there. So most everyone actually played well. Most everyone did their assignment, just reading through the film breakdowns, film reviews. But he just he felt the defense, and he knew almost instinctively where the holes were, and he was able to take, take advantage of it. Are there any other quarterbacks nationally that – give you guys, I guess, the confidence. Do you think could repeat a Kellen Mond type of performance Tua. from what you've seen? I think Tua yeah. is it. I think Tua is it as well. Some people have talked about, like, you know, we've got Ryan Finley. There's Jake Fromm. Jake Fromm's about as mobile as, you know, a Greek statue. You know, he's he's not torching anyone downfield like Mond was, breaking contain with Isaiah Simmons coming in off a of fire blitz, and he gets around him. Uh, Jake Fromm is not doing that. Yeah. And, you know, Ryan Finley, unless he pulls a massive okie doke is not doing that either. Um, it's, it's the combination of the mobility as well as the arm talent that really makes a difference. And Tua has it, but I don't even know if Tua's got it on the same level as Mon because at the end of the day, he's what five foot 10. I think he's going to, you know, as teams start to scheme and try and contain him in the pocket, he's going to have some serious issues with getting the ball over his, massive offensive line 
And let's yeah. see him play through an SEC West schedule too, right? I mean, beating up on Louisville um, and Brian Van Gorder defenses, I don't know. Like, if you listen to our recap of the first week, we were very high on Tua coming out of that. But again, we need to see more evidence. Right. So, I mean, we'll find out exactly how good Mond is. I mean, did he just have the game of his life against us? Possibly. Like, I mean, just how he was filling out the defense, he did it very consistently. So I think I think he's taking that next step. And I think Texas A&M is actually a very scary team for the SEC. Yeah, um, we, t- we talked a little bit about this win aging very well for Clemson. Um, looking elsewhere on our schedule may not be anyone approaching a top 10 type of ranking they i think could could make a bit at that yeah, yeah I, i'm gonna be really ticked if kellen mon turns around and pulls an eric dungy and just you know takes a giant dump on the field for the rest of the season because he looked like superman um kind of like dungy did in that game last year but we've seen it before so who knows yeah, I don't think a and is going to call it a year and pack in every game after after the Clemson game like Syracuse did last year. <laughs> they didn't win a single game after that. It was horrible. Um, but yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll just see. I think, I think A&M's a top 15 team. I think they could p- potentially be top 10. Um, they're going to scare a bunch of teams out there. Um, any sort of, I know we talked about the tight ends potentially being the weak link on the offensive side. Anything that still gives you guys a little bit of concern going forward out of this defense that you think we need to work through? Um, there's probably some obvious ones, but anything come to mind for you? Oh, Simmons, I think, was put in conflict a lot, and he had a bunch of issues. Um, and Muse will continue to be tested. Um, just our, our safeties in general will be tested. I think A.J. Terrell, I think he played well. I think Trayvon Mullen played well. Um, I, I mean... Our secondary, our safety needs to improve, but it wasn't as bad as I thought on the first pass. Once you actually dig into it, see how they were putting them in conflict and seeing how they were testing them. I think the issues there are fixable. I think it's a, a good humbling experience for the defense and for this team. And I think they probably need that. I would rather have a humbling experience with a win than one with a loss. So we'll just see how they build from here. Yeah, and I think you hit it with a lot of these issues are fixable. You can't make a player faster. You can't make him stronger throughout the season, but you can learn from your mistakes. Um, I think the trouble with Isaiah is that it doesn't get any better moving him back to safety because it's still an eye discipline related issue with him really wanting to play run first. Um, I would be interested to see a little bit of some Balin Specter. Aside from having the best name on the team right now, I I would like to see him get some reps in there at Sam. I think he might add a layer of security, um, playing a little bit better assignment football, and maybe we take a step down in athleticism. But frankly, with the players that he has around him, he doesn't need to be Superman out there as long as he's in position and doing the right thing. Um, but I don't know what you do with Isaiah at that point. If you bring Balin Spector in and give him some shots at Sam, assuming he can, you know, be in the right place at the right time, you know, I don't know that there's a place for Isaiah in the defense if he can't fix his eye discipline issues. So I, I just don't know if he helps the safety depth either, because I don't know if you can trust him back there. 
Yeah, I I agree. You can't move him back to safety. It doesn't really get you anything. I mean, the issues are are mental as I discipline. You want to leave him there, though. I mean, you want him to. He just needs to learn. If he's going to have to get get burnt against Georgia Tech, I think we'll be okay. If uh, with with our schedule, just leave him in there for a few more games. Let him figure it out. Same We've, with Muse. And. I made this comment earlier in a previous show. I think the ACC Atlantic's offenses have taken a step forward. Um, and, you know, we may not face the most ferocious defenses in the world, but I think there will be enough action on the offensive side that he will take his lumps and be able to learn. And I think we'll know a lot more around the bye week of what we have, having faced like a very potent Wake Forest offense, at least. Well, he needs to learn before November 10th because I just watched boston college go absolutely ape with play action to the tight end and if our sam linebacker is not playing with eye discipline on play action and gets a a tight end sneaks in behind him we're going to have some trouble we're going to have some some major problems and that's at boston college and it, it, it could turn into a must win game if they don't lose another you know two games in the ACC that turns into a must-win game not saying that they're you know the best team in the ACC but you know if that's a problem that we have that's what their offense is designed to do is is suck you up with play action get the tight end behind you and if if at that point if Isaiah Simmons is not ready to play with eye discipline it's going to be a long night yeah I think at that point you may just have to move McMichael or or um or someone else to to nickel and play nickel in that situation, but if Simmons doesn't improve, if he doesn't improve that eye discipline, then there's no way we're beating Alabama in the national championship game, and we may not be whoever we would play in in round one of the playoffs. So I mean, he he just has to figure it out. Yeah, it's like if your if your team's not on a champ, championship caliber level. Um, you realize that in that moment. And even if you could have snuck through that game, we're just, you know, going to face another loss potentially. So, um, yeah, that makes sense. How about, I know you touched on Simmons. How about linebacker play in general so far? Um, any, any standouts for you guys or any sort of areas that you'd like to see improved? Well, Kendall Joseph is a very reliable linebacker. Does a fantastic job. Um, I think uh, I think Trey Lamar is is doing a good job. Um, going through the film reviews that that Kraken put together, I think he there's one mistake where he vacated his zone that he shouldn't have. Otherwise, I didn't see anything too too big of a mistake out there. I think he's playing well. Um, it's unfortunate that Jamie Skalski is going to try to redshirt this year, but I think for the long term health of the program. That gives you Skolski through 2019 and 2020. So you could potentially play Shaq Smith, a weak side linebacker, and Jamie Skolski at, at middle linebacker. Um, and those would be two really good options going down the line. So even though you're moving Skolski out like a year, um, you know you're going to have really good linebacker play for the next couple of years. Yeah, I don't really have too many complaints about the linebackers, I, I do think, you know, Kraken hit on it a little bit. There were some issues with their depth, and that caused some of the problems with the middle of the field being open. You know, that's part of the downside of having um, Kendall Joseph on the field is is he's 6'1", 
at best six foot probably. So, you know, if he doesn't get his right depth, the ball can get over him pretty easily. You know, Trey Lamar is a hulking giant out there. So he doesn't, you know, the depth thing isn't as big of a deal, you know, and that's where Shaq Smith can come in really nice because he's got those ridiculously long arms. Um, But I guess that would be my one gripe. Um, tackling was a mixed bag, I feel like, but, you know, they're a very physical team. So, um, with big, you know, big, strong receivers, it seems like they had three Mike Evans out there on Saturday with these, you know, six foot four, 200 pound behemoths who were just reeling everything in. So, um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't have too many gripes about the linebacker play other than just, you know, they need to get the communication fixed. Yeah, maybe to touch on that before I forget, um, I know we were in Texas playing a game uh, for really, is this, was this our first ever game in Texas? I should know that. <laughs> no, I don't think so, because we played a m four times before. Oh, that's right. That's, yeah. yeah, outside of that, outside of those games. Um, any any thoughts on recruiting for this weekend? I haven't heard too much coming out, but um, putting the brand out there at the least in the state. Yeah, I was really hoping that we would just go in and enroll a m and put on a nice recruiting show for the state, but that didn't happen. Uh, and I'm just going to recruit just fine. Um, <laughs> I, if we made it, I, I, I heard we actually did Jimbo some favors. I think that they had at least, I think one five-star committed like after the game and another is a silent commit. Like that actually kind of played into Jimbo's favor. Cause he, he had like 170 recruits on hand um, and really conveyed the message that they're knocking on the door, right? Um, we kind of played into his favor on that. Um, but, you know, I, I mean, we showed up to a game in Texas and we were rocking cowboy hats and we came out and we won the game. Um, you know, I, I think that it's it's going to end up paying dividends in the long run. It's obviously part of our recruiting strategy, kind of moving towards a more national brand. And if you're going to be a national brand, you got to recruit Texas. Well, actually, I don't know about that. I mean, Ohio State has been successful recruiting Texas, but we've actually been more successful recruiting California. So, I mean, that kind of a question My for you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what's your perspective? I mean, how does the culture fit coming from California to Clemson as opposed to Texas to Clemson? Yeah, I mean, I think it's just a matter of what what's going on on the West Coast here in the Pac-12 with the coaching and with USC traditional superpower. Um, I think what what you see under Helton is they're not actually the go-to team anymore necessarily, and I think you're starting to see a lot of the talent out here look elsewhere and go elsewhere. Um, getting jo- Joseph Nagata from Sacramento area, a uh, huge coup for Clemson. I, I'm hopeful that that starts to open things up. Um, I think he's going to be a tremendous recruiter on our behalf as well um, out here. So uh, I don't, yeah, I would say, I mean, if, if you can get the pot here and start, start having a, a solid brand, that's great. Um, I don't, I think SoCal is really the part of the state that you need to be focusing on. And as long as USC is going to keep uh, Clay Helton there. And as long as uh, Chip Kelly is at UCLA, Chip Kelly is not a guy that goes out there and really, Um, recruits at the level that really at a blue chip level ucla historically does really well with talent so if he's winning i think they'll do okay but um i think california is there for the taking and if that's where if dabo and jeff scott can get some inroads 
Uh, let's let's keep going, keep keep it up. Yeah, outside of for- outside of California, Florida needs to be the focus with all three of the schools down down there being down significantly. I, th- yes, I think we see a bunch area. of. Yeah, I, I think we gonna, see. Go ahead. Sorry, sorry. I was I was going to say I think like the middle class of Florida recruiting has elevated with uh, sort of the and the, who knows how long these guys will be there, but the Charlie Strong, um, Lane Kiffin group, in addition to Mullen and um, what Taggart's doing. But again, look at that Florida State start. I mean, I, that this cannot be um, giving the boosters confidence with recruiting, right? Right. It's a huge opportunity for for us. And unfortunately for some SEC schools like Tennessee, Georgia, Alabama, LSU, I mean, they're all going to try to raid Florida. Yeah, I think it's, a, it's an opportunistic moment right now. I think overall the trend that I've felt is maybe we need to look outside of Florida with these new hires and certainly Rick coming back there and trying to elevate the U and what that brand means in the state. But if, if the U's mediocre this year, if FSU's looking like they have ongoing, yeah, let's, let's laser focus down there. Um, well guys, you know, maybe before we wrap up overall, just wanted to get your take, you know, two weeks into the season, where are you in terms of expectations overall? Has that has that changed for you? You think we're this team's on track? Are you still thinking we're a championship contender at this stage? Yeah, I I, I do. Um, I think there's a a sort of natural inclination to overreact to that kind of game. Uh, we saw it happen with Auburn in 2016. Go back and read some of the post game threads from some of those games, Troy. Um, but this is a team that is going to do what they've got to do to win. They're probably not going to do much else uh, until you get to late November. We'll probably have a statement game somewhere along the road. I've kind of got NC State circled. Um, I think that Dabo really, really just doesn't like Dave Doran and wants to put it on him. I'm perfectly okay with that. Um so I think we're going to have a statement game here or there. There's probably going to be some ugly wins. At the end of the day, the goal is 15. And I think that it's very attainable. We've got to see some improvement from certain areas. But I, I think that we absolutely have the potential to get there. Um, and at the end of the day, this is a team that's battle tested. They know what it takes. Um, we have probably the best defense in the country. And at the end of the day, if you have the best defense in the country, you should be in the conversation to win a national championship. Yeah, I think we're definitely in the conversation for a national championship, especially when you just look at the at the Vegas odds out there for who's going to win. I mean, should we expect to win one? No, <laughs> we shouldn't. Um, I think there's last prior to the season, there's like an eighty percent chance of us not winning a national championship. So we're used to overperforming our ranking. We're used to beating that AP poll number. Um, it's There's just only really hard to do this year. Yeah, that's right. And um, I think the I think the staff knows that they have a really good team. I think just reading some of the preseason talk, they're just very confident. I mean, against Furman on the second drive, we're putting backups in. Like, come on, in A and M and Q two, Q three. I think there's a little bit of hubris in that game too, with the play calling and with getting backups experience. That's important for the long-term health of the program. Hopefully, what we see is that the backups really are as good as we expect them to be. 
and that even with a backup in, we still run up the score. That's what I'm hoping to see this season. Yeah, and let's remember that there are some serious offensive weapons who we didn't really see against Texas a and It's kind of like Auburn last year where ETN didn't even play. Um, we have Justin Ross didn't get a snap against Texas a and or if he did, he didn't get a catch, that's for sure. Braden Galloway didn't, get, didn't go out there. Lynn J. Dixon didn't touch the ball at all. You know, there are some really talented freshmen who are going to contribute to this team when it counts. And they're going to have plenty of time to get up and up and running. Um, and, you know, Trevor Lawrence is going to improve a significant amount. I'm, I firmly believe that by the end of the season where he will be versus where he is, I think he could be the best quarterback in college football by the end of the season. I think there's that much upside. It's not a guarantee. But if you think about the best defense with the best quarterback, that's a recipe for a national championship. I agree that Lawrence is going to keep getting better and better. It's just how fast will that growth rate be? Will we see it this season or not? I mean, if we if Lawrence turns into the quarterback we were promised, we're going to win a national championship. Uh, no question about that. It's just that was being smart about grooming him. I mean, let Bryant play. Bryant has improved too, so let the two of them continue to compete. Let Lawrence come along slowly without that pressure. Um, and then by the end of the season, we'll see where we are and we'll hopefully we'll be competing for a national championship. Sounds good to me. Uh, who are you guys kind of keeping a close eye on around the country in terms of interesting teams, certainly potential playoff teams, but um, Alabama, that's a given. Who else is kind of drawing your eye at, at this stage? Ohio State for me. I think they could be really good. Um, probably the second most week. Big test. I think they're going to roll TCU. Yeah. Uh, hopefully I jinx them and they don't. But um, <laughs> second most talented team in the country. I think Haskins has a deep, deep ball threat. Um, I think that's something that Ohio State has been missing for the past few years. Uh, there's a potential that they could be a really good team and make a national championship run. I'm hoping they don't. I'm hoping they stumble a couple games, miss the playoffs, because then that puts a lot of pressure on Urban Meyer. He spent a lot of, of capital this offseason. And um, I want to see that narrative turn against Urban Meyer. Yeah, I actually I actually think that this might be the year that, that we get the, the mythical Big Ten West to actually make their way into the playoff with Wisconsin. I think that they – I don't know that they're that good necessarily, but I think that in, a, in kind of that one shot, they can pull a Wisconsin and just, you know, knock down Ohio State. I don't think that they have legitimate competition in the West to keep them out of the Big Ten championship game. And I think, yeah, in a in a championship game um, at Lucas Oil Stadium, I think that they can come up, kind of rise up, and just give them that one punch in the mouth and win the Big Ten. And if they win the Big Ten, they're probably in the playoff. I would love to see that matchup. Um, I think that we would probably roll them kind of like we did to Ohio State in 2016. But um, I think that they're kind of – I don't even think they're a dark horse. I think that they should be directly in the conversation to be a team that ends up in the playoff. Yeah, for sure. I think it remains to be seen at Ohio State, if anything, is their lingering kind of locker room stuff. They've got a ton of talent, so it might not even matter that much. But uh, the Big Ten East, you know, that that could be a situation where a few of those teams 
uh, sneak a few out again. It, it can kind of end up a little bit sometimes like um, I guess probably the SEC West um, has been in recent years where Auburn sneaks through occasionally uh, to that that title game. So I wouldn't pencil Ohio State in necessarily to that that side of the bracket either just yet. Um, maybe let me throw a couple more teams out there, get your guys' take. Uh, Oklahoma, are we are we to believe that they're uh, without Baker Mayfield a contender? I'm not buying it. They they smoked some really bad teams. Congrats. I mean, great. We've never seen Oklahoma do that before. Um, I, I just I don't see them as a team that's in a reload position yet. You know, they're not at that level of blue chip talent. Um, yeah, their quarterback looks really good against terrible teams. That offense always looks good against terrible teams. I'm not really buying them right now. I think the Big 12 could very legitimately get shut out of the playoff this year. It's all about Oklahoma's defense. I mean, last year, as good as their as their offense was, I mean, their defense was bad. I don't know how you waste that talent on the offense like they did, but they managed to they managed to blow it. Um, are that we going to see them? Was shameful? It really was. I mean, are wow. they going to are they going to see improvement on the defensive front? I kind of doubt it. Um, I mean, Stoops' brother, he's still there. Um, I was surprised that they kept him this offseason. Um, I'm glad they, I think it's Mike Stoops, right? Yeah, Mark's at Kentucky. That's right. Yeah, Mike Stoops. I always get them confused. Um, I'm glad they brought him back and chased off Venables so that we got Venables. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, last team, just to get your pulse check on, Georgia. I think Georgia's really good. Um, they can run the ball. They're just going to wear you out with their offensive and defensive lines. Um, is Fromm going to win some games with his arm? Um, potentially. I think we'll probably see them in the playoff again this year. Um, they have to get past Auburn. I think they have to get past LCU and then the SEC championship game. I don't know. I th- they have a, a schedule that doesn't exactly line up. I didn't think they looked terribly impressive against South Carolina, against a South Carolina team that we know is really not deserving of that, what, 23 ranking that they were gifted um, before the game. Um, you know, that first quarter, I thought Georgia really just kind of messed around and didn't look very clean. They don't have the stable of running backs that they've had in in the past with their success. They've got a lot of talent, but talent's never really been their problem. Um, And then, you know, at the end of the day, I don't know that the SEC gets another two teams in. I think the only way that happens is if Alabama's the team that doesn't win the SEC. I, I think at the end of the day, yeah, Georgia probably wins the East. They probably play Alabama in the SEC championship game, and they probably lose. And I don't think any other team can lose or not play in a, in a conference championship game like that and get into the playoff. I don't think anyone else has that cachet at this point. I would say Clemson would if we had a stronger schedule and just happen to have a stumbling moment, but we we don't have that schedule to back that up at this point. So. Yeah, I think maybe like if we lost to Boston College and that was our only loss and they won the ACC and ended up ranked like 15 or something, maybe. 
But at this point, you know, Georgia's been in once. Clemson and Alabama have been in three consecutive times each. Alabama's four consecutive times. As much as they like to say that every season is a vacuum, there is recency bias. Yeah. And I, I don't think Georgia's built up that level of cachet yet. The only way they get in the playoff to me is if they win the SEC outright and beat Alabama in the national in the uh, SEC championship game. But in that event, I don't see another two SEC team scenario. Yeah, and the turd in the punch bowl, as I call them, is Notre Dame. If they can just keep it up, just like they did in 2012, and sneak through with their schedule. Um, they can mess things up, certainly for a conference that would otherwise try to get two in. So, I wouldn't mind playing Notre Dame. I mean, Wimbush couldn't throw downfield. I mean, he oh, yeah. he extended drives with his legs against Michigan. They basically, uh, yeah, it was Michigan. They basically looked equivalent to Michigan. Um, hopefully, they do go eleven and one. Hopefully, they do make it into the playoff. Um, I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't mind seeing them there at all. I'm just facing them so much in the next decade that I'm already sick of them. But if it's for a title, let's do it. Yeah, I I would love to to match up with them. You know, maybe a Notre Dame Clemson Cotton Bowl or something that would be fantastic. Um, I think de- I think defensively, I think Brett Venables would be just over the moon about that matchup. Yeah, Notre Dame has to run on you. And I mean, if AM's not going to run on us, I don't see any team on our schedule that is. Uh, Notre Dame's not going to. Yeah, BC will be the only one that I think will, and maybe we eliminate the run in that game too, and and focus there. But I agree. Um, guys, any any parting thoughts about this upcoming season? I mean, I think you know, I kind of look at this, and I think this could actually be one of the more fun Clemson teams. Uh, that game was. A little bit sloppy in moments, but I think some of that was self-inflicted with uh, what the offensive coaching staff was putting out there. Uh, so I'm just again continuing to try to enjoy this era that we're in. Kurt, you talked a little bit about the Tommy Bowden era. Um, I still got those scars, and I'm I'm not taking this era for granted. But I, I'm really excited about this team, the composition and makeup as well. Yeah, I would just say that I don't get a lot of the anger that's out there towards players and the team sometimes. I mean, they're doing it for an education. <laughs> Tongue-in-cheek. But, uh, I mean, they're working hard. Um, it's not their fault if they're not as good as we think they should be. Um, I'm just going to enjoy the season. Um, I'm hoping for 15-0, and 0, just like everyone else. That's not realistic. So, I mean, if we have a loss along the way, we'll see if we can still get there. As long as this team continues to make the playoff and be competitive against the elite teams in the country, I mean, I think that's where the program needs to be and the program can maintain. Yeah, and and I think, you know, you get wrapped around the axle about this is our shot. I think we have another legitimate shot at a national championship in 2020. 2019, we're probably going to take a step back on defense, but 2020, you you got Trevor Lawrence as a, as a junior at that point. You know, a lot of very experienced XT talent on yeah, both sides of the ball. Um, maybe we get there this year, maybe we don't, but it's it's not like the playoff run or the magical run is just going to end if we don't get to the national championship this year. But, you know, I, I, I do want to try and enjoy it. Um, you know, 
without too much of a burden of expectations as, as hard as that is. I think we have a legitimate chance to just start blowing teams out. Honestly, um, I think we've got the firepower and we've got the depth um, where the backups come in and they just keep pouring it on. And I think that would be really fun for once just to watch us just, you know, bollywop some teams and just really take them out behind the woodshed. I think there's potential there. Um, don't know if it'll happen, but that would that would kind of make things a little bit more interesting for us at least. No disagreement here. Um, well, guys, thank you so much for coming on. Great discussion. Really, really good to get your insight here. Um, I definitely learned a lot, so appreciate you coming on. Um, you want to plug your Twitter, Twitters again? Uh, well, yeah, before I do that, I just want to plug the site, clemsonpaws.com. I mean, everyone talks about their opinions on the game. I mean, everyone watches a game casually. You may even watch it a few times. If you really want to understand what's going on, the only way to do that is to put the work in through the film reviews. Uh, the, the Kraken does an extensive job putting the film reviews together. You're not going to find anything else better out there. Um, that's not an exaggeration because there really isn't anything better out there. So check it out. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. On Twitter, it is ctb underscore Clemson pause dot Clemson pause. So ctb underscore Clemson pause. Yeah, and I don't really care if you follow me on Twitter. I mean, it'd be it'd be great if you did, but <laughs> the site is really, um, you know, I think the big thing for me was when I started you know, over at Shaken the Southland when Kraken was writing over there. Um, I learned so much from his breakdowns and his analysis that when I heard he was leaving, I was just, you know, like, oh, God, what am I going to do? I learned so much from this guy. I learned more about football reading his write-ups than I had learned in, you know, 25 years of watching it. Um, and, you know, to see, you know, how the site has grown, it's been really exciting. The fact that we wanted to make it open for everyone to bring more people in um, and kind of spread the word. It's been really exciting. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's kind of like Chris said, um, I think that there's a lot of uh, amateurism out there with, you know, what is called film review versus a real film review. You know, watching a game two or three times isn't really film review. Um, but you know, the, the time that he puts into it and you can tell when you read it, you know, every formation broken down, every play broken down observations from the play. I mean, he's watching every play multiple times and, um, it's, it's incredible what you learn when you go back and you go into that level of depth. And if you just want to, I mean, it doesn't matter if you just want to understand the game better, or if you want to be that guy at the bar, who's just, you know, dropping dimes of insight left and right doesn't matter why if you want to learn about football and especially Clemson football it's just the best place to go it's going to give you the best information right and you'll really understand what's going on you're not going to be repeating the echo chamber out there because a lot of times we just hear like people repeating themselves so it's it's original thoughts it's it's a he it, it demonstrates what's going on through the film reviews um i don't really care if you follow me on twitter either <laughs> but follow Kurt. He's a much better Twitter follow than I am. That's uh, at the underscore JD list. So Jack but we appreciate list. Yeah, just JD list for, for his Twitter handle. Awesome. Well, uh, guys, thank you for coming on. Really appreciate it. Uh, it was a lot of fun. We'll have to uh, chat again sometime.
That sounds great. All Thank right, you yeah, for having cool. us. Enjoyed it. For sure. Uh, thanks. And as always, go Tigers. Go Tigers.